Hello, and welcome to the final reports on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode 27. In this episode, we'll continue chapter 7, 187 minutes of dereliction. Reading this portion of the report will be Lauren Holiday. So, without further ado, let's continue. We're going to try to get the president to put out a statement. Minutes after arriving back at the White House, the president ran into a member of the White House staff and asked whether he or she watched his speech on television. Sir, they cut it off because they're rioting down at the Capitol, the employee said. The president asked what he or she meant by that. They're rioting down there at the Capitol, the employee repeated. Oh, really? the president asked. All right, let's go see. A photograph taken by the White House photographer, the last one permitted until later in the day, captures the moment the president heard the news from the employee at 1.21 p.m. By that time, if not sooner, he had been made aware of the violent riot at the Capitol. President Trump walked through the corridor from the Oval Office into the presidential dining room and sat down at the table with the television remote and a Diet Coke close at hand. For the rest of the afternoon, as his country faced an hours-long attack, he hunkered down in or around the dining room watching television. He left only for a few minutes, from 4.03 p.m. to 4.07 p.m., to film a video in the Rose Garden, only a few steps away, after hours of arm-twisting. But otherwise, the president remained in the dining room until 6.27 p.m. when he returned to his private residence. What happened during the 187 minutes from 1.10 p.m. to 4.17 p.m. when President Trump finally told the rioters to go home is, from an official standpoint, undocumented. For instance, the presidential daily diary, the schedule that tracks every meeting and phone call in which the president partakes, is inexplicably blank between 1.21 p.m. and 4.03 p.m., when asked to explain the gap in record-keeping on and around January 6th, White House officials in charge of its maintenance provided no credible explanation, including, I don't recall a specific reason. The men who spent most of the afternoon in that room with the president, Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino, both refused to comply with lawful subpoenas from the Select Committee. Others in the dining room appeared before the Select Committee, but cited executive privilege to avoid answering questions about their direct communications with President Trump. Others who worked just outside of the Oval Office, like the president's personal secretaries Molly Michael and Austin Ferrer Piran Bisaldo, claimed not to remember nearly anything from one of the most memorable days in recent American history. The White House photographer, Shayla Craghead, had been granted access to photograph the president during his January 6th speech, but once she got to the White House and it became clear that an attack was unfolding on the Capitol steps, she was turned away. The president didn't want any photos, she was told. Here's what President Trump did during the 187 minutes between the end of his speech and when he finally told rioters to go home. For hours, he watched the attack from his TV screen. His channel of choice, 
was Fox News. He issued a few tweets, some on his own inclination, and some only at the repeated behest of his daughter and other trusted advisors. He made several phone calls, some to his personal lawyer, Rudolph Giuliani, some to members of Congress about continuing their objections to the electoral certification, even though the attack was well underway. Here's what President Trump did not do. He did not call any relevant law enforcement agency to ensure they were working to quell the violence. He did not call the Secretary of Defense. He did not call the Attorney General. He did not call the Secretary of Homeland Security. And for hours on end, he refused the repeated requests from nearly everyone who talked to him to simply tell the mob to go home. Throughout the afternoon, senior staff regularly entered the room to give him updates on what was happening at the Capitol. And of course, President Trump used Twitter, where information is shared on an instantaneous basis. Shortly after President Trump entered the dining room, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany swung by to check in with him about the letter Vice President Pence released around 1 p.m., announcing that he would not, in fact, overturn the will of the voters. The president once again brought up going to the Capitol. McEnany recorded what he said in her notes, certain of what she later produced to the select committee. POTUS wanted to walk to, sick, Capitol. Physically walk. He said, fine ride beast referring to the nickname for the presidential vehicle. Meadows said not safe enough. Meadows told Hutchinson at some point in the day that the president wasn't happy that Bobby Engel didn't pull it off for him, meaning the trip to the Capitol, and that Mark didn't work hard enough to get the movement on the books. Despite the turmoil just outside its walls, the proceedings in the joint session, which had begun at 1 p.m., were still ongoing, and the president was watching them on the television. He was eager to know which senators were lodging objections on his behalf. Back there, and he wants a list of senators, McEnany's notes read. Who? Sick. Objecting to what? He's calling them one by one. The select committee subpoenaed several members of Congress who reportedly spoke with President Trump during the afternoon. None of them complied. Cellular records obtained by the select committee suggest that President Trump was on the phone with his lawyer, Rudolph Giuliani, at least twice during this period. Giuliani's phone connected with the White House switchboard for 3 minutes and 53 seconds at 1.39 p.m., and again for more than 8 minutes at 2.03 p.m. Between the two calls at 1.49 p.m., President Trump tweeted a link to a video of his speech from the ellipse. Before 1.57 p.m., Hirschman phoned senior advisor to the president, Jared Kushner, who was on a plane traveling home from overseas, advising him that people are trying to break into the Capitol and that this is getting pretty ugly. We're going to see what we can do here, Hirschman said. We're going to try to get the president to put out a statement. 7.5. He doesn't want to do anything. Throughout the afternoon, the president's advisors tried to get him to tell the mob to leave the Capitol, but to no avail. Ben Williamson, the White House acting director of communications, watched on the news as officers and rioters pepper-sprayed each other and crowds used bicycle barricades to push against officers holding the line. He and Sarah Matthews, the deputy press secretary, devised a plan. 
He would go to Meadows and she would go to McEnany to urge that the president issue a statement. Williamson first texted Meadows, would recommend POTUS put out a tweet about respecting the police over at the Capitol. Minutes later, around 2.05 p.m., Hutchinson found Meadows seated in his office on the couch, absorbed by his cell phone screen. Are you watching the TV, Chief? she asked. He indicated he was. Have you talked to the president? she asked. No, he replied. He wants to be alone right now. Rioters broke into the west side of the Capitol building around 2.13 p.m. Just a few minutes later, Hutchinson saw Cipollone barreling down the hallway and, after looking at Hutchinson and shaking his head, opened the door to Meadows' office unannounced. Meadows was right where she left him, still sitting on his phone. The rioters have gotten to the Capitol, Mark. We need to go down and see the president now, she heard Cipollone say. Cipollone would not confirm or deny any of this exchange, citing executive privilege. He doesn't want to do anything, Pat, Meadows said, peering up from his phone. Mark, something needs to be done or people are going to die and the blood's going to be on your fucking hands, Cipollone said. This is getting out of control. I'm going down there. Meadows finally stood up from the couch and walked with Cipollone toward the dining room to meet with the president. 7.6. He thinks Mike deserves it. At exactly 2.24 p.m., President Trump made his first public statement during the attack on the Capitol by tweet. It read nothing like the statement his advisors had envisioned. It read, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. Minutes later, Meadows and Cipollone returned from their talk with the president. No statement was forthcoming. Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be fucking hung, Hutchinson heard Cipollone say. You heard him, Pat, Meadows replied. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. This is fucking crazy. We need to be doing something more, Cipollone said. Cipollone told the select committee that there needed to be an immediate and forceful response. Statement. Public statement that people need to leave the Capitol now. He said he was pretty clear about his view in the White House that day, and he made that view known as soon as he became aware of the unrest. He would not comment on how the president responded or on this conversation with Meadows, citing executive privilege. He did indicate that everyone in the White House, except President Trump, agreed that people needed to leave the Capitol. Vice Chair Cheney, and who on the staff did not want people to leave the Capitol? Mr. Cipollone, on the staff? Vice Chair Cheney, in the White House. Mr. Cipollone, I can't think of anybody on that day who didn't want people to get out of the Capitol once the, particularly once the violence started. No, I mean, Mr. Schiff, what about the president? Vice Chair Cheney, yeah. Mr. Cipollone, well, she said the staff, so I answered. Vice Chair Cheney, no, I said in the White House. Mr. Cipollone, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. I thought you said who else on the staff. Pauses to confer with counsel. Yeah, I can't reveal communications, but obviously I think 
you know. Yeah. What the president did tweet, a broadside at his vice president, enlarged the target on Vice President Pence's back. A Secret Service agent in the Protective Intelligence Division, tasked with monitoring threats against protectees in part by scouring social media, told his colleagues the tweet was probably not going to be good for Pence. A second agent in reply noted that it had garnered over 24K likes in under two minutes. 7.7. I guess they're just more upset about the election theft than you are. Minutes after drawing increased attention to his besieged vice president, the president called newly elected Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama at 2.26 p.m. He misdialed, calling Senator Mike Lee of Utah instead, but one passed the phone to the other in short order. President Trump wanted to talk objections to the electoral count, but Senator Tuberville, along with every other elected official trapped and surrounded in the building, had other things on his mind. I said, Mr. President, they've taken the vice president out. They want me to get off the phone. I gotta go, Senator Tuberville told reporters. We're not doing much work here right now. In the next half hour, between 2.26 p.m. and 3.06 p.m., President Trump spoke with House Leader Kevin McCarthy. Leader McCarthy told the public in a live interview with CBS News while he and his colleagues were sheltering at a secure location that he was very clear in telling President Trump to talk to the nation to tell them to stop this. Leader McCarthy later recounted his conversation to a number of people, including Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, a Republican congresswoman from Washington state. You have got to get on TV. You've got to get on Twitter. You've got to call these people off, he said, he told the president. These aren't my people, you know. These are, these are Antifa, President Trump insisted, against all evidence. They're your people. They literally just came through my office windows, and my staff are running for cover. I mean, they're running for their lives. You need to call them off, Leader McCarthy told him. What President Trump said next was chilling, in Representative Herrera Butler's words. Well, Kevin, I guess they're just more upset about the election theft than you are, the president said. The call then devolved into a swearing match. Mick Mulvaney? Former chief of staff to President Trump had a similar call with leader McCarthy in the days after the attack. McCarthy told Mulvaney that he urged the president to get the rioters to stop, and the president replied, Kevin, maybe these people are just more angry about this than you are. Mark Short, the vice president's chief of staff, spoke with leader McCarthy later that afternoon. Leader McCarthy told Short that he had spoken with President Trump and that he was frustrated that the White House was not taking the circumstances seriously as they should at that moment. The administration was demonstrating a lack of response or a lack of responsibility, Leader McCarthy told Short. At 2.49 p.m., as the violence escalated, President Trump's speechwriter Gabriel Robert texted someone, POTUS, I'm sure, is loving this. This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios under a contract with SAG-AFTRA. Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info 
at 20-08.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And, of course, please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.